All right, go ahead and turn in your Bible to First uh, Peter chapter 3. I want to share with you t- tonight about something. Some of you will know what this is right away. Some of you will learn this tonight. We want to talk a little bit about apologetics. Apologetics. And we'll get into that in just a moment. Let's go ahead and look in First Peter chapter 3. Are you all here? It says, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Notice that in your hearts. And always be ready to give a defense. The word also sometimes translated answer. To everyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed. In the New Living Translation, it says, Instead, you must worship Christ as Lord of your life. And if someone asks you about your Christian hope, always be ready to explain it. That's what apologetics are. But do this in a gentle and respectful way. Keep your conscience clear. Then if people speak against you, they will be ashamed when they see what a good life you live because you belong to Christ. Did you notice that? You're to live a good life because you belong to Christ. Amen. Um, We're living in um, uh, quite a different world. We're going to outline some things about that tonight. We were talking a little bit about that on Sunday. And it's no news to you. And there are a lot of different worldviews. There are a whole lot of questions. A lot of people say there's no truth. There's no absolute truth. And they're absolutely wrong. And, and, and they contradict themselves all the time because there are things that they do like clockwork because they believe in the absolute truth of those things. You know, they, they push their brakes to stop. I mean, just think about things just a little bit. But there's so many things that are just out there. Is there a God? Is he really real? How many gods are there? You know, where'd you get the Bible? How come that's true? There's a lot of questions. And I want to make part of the next few weeks, at least with our real life studies on Wednesday night, we want to address some of those things because I want you to be equipped. I want, I want you to be able to give a reason that, and there's some hard questions out there. There's, there's some questions that if they haven't been posed to you, probably they will be posed to you at some point. And you need to be ready. Amen. The Bible says be ready that you can give a defense. You can give a reason for the hope that is within you. And there's a way to do that. And we're going to be able to, and, and to the best of our ability, we're going to study out some things. And I really don't know of any questions out there, honestly, that cannot be answered. And then you're going to deal with atheists. That's kind of chic now and agnostics. And, and so we want to be able to, how do we answer? And by answer, I did not say argue. Did y'all hear that? Uh, the word apologetics does not mean to apologize. Um, it actually means from speech or with words. And it's actually a reasoned, formulated, prepared answer that, that you would have. Um, it's to defend your faith and it's not combative. Scripture is very clear. We do this with meekness and fear. We, we do this in a gentle and respectful way. Church, are y'all hearing me? Um, apologetics or discussions, you know, you've all heard it, you know, don't bring up, uh, religion or politics. Well, it should be okay to bring up religion, politics. Well, let's, let's stay on religion. Um, and people argue, but you should not, a a true blue believer, you're not going to argue. You're not going to argue. You don't have to. 
When you're coming from a position of knowledge and position of strength, you don't have to argue. You don't have to argue. You know, it amazes me. I, I see sometimes moms in the middle of Walmart or something arguing with their three-year-old. You know, and, and it's like, who's smarter here? Who's in the position of strength and, and, and truth? And so we've got to get a grip on some things, gain some things, so that we don't have to be argumentative. You don't even have to be angry about this. And you can start to view that people are searching. And this is the thing. People are searching. People are open to spiritual things. And there is a hunger. And scripture also says that eternity is written in the hearts of men, all men, all people. There's something that when something is connected to eternity and God, it will resonate within the spirit. Because every, every person is built with a mechanism to believe. Unfortunately, a lot of people use their God-given ability to believe to believe that there is no God. And so we want to be able to, this is not combat. This is not a contest. We're not trying to defeat anybody. We're not trying to win. We're trying to influence. We're trying to influence. And how many of you know, as as Paul talked about, some plant and others, what? Water. And God gives the increase. And I would hate for you in the garden of people's souls, for you to be brother or sister roundup. You know, and with a nasty, acidic attitude or whatever, just argue and just, you know, kill, you know, what perhaps is planted or about to be planted and destroy the soil. So we want to be prayerful. We want to be loving. We want to be gentle and respectful, but we don't compromise. You don't have to compromise and we don't apologize. We're not making excuses, but we're ever ready to give a reason, to give a defense for the hope that is within us. The word defense or, or answer there is apo, uh, apologia, and it's a Greek word, and that's where we get our word apologetics. The saying, and you've seen the bumper sticker, and if you have it, I'm not, I'm not you know, bashing on you tonight. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. All right, look at me. I get that. But that's not going to cut. That does not connect. That does not compute for a person who is not a believer, who's not a Christian. And what really makes it bad is when you say it with a Christian accent. (laughs) How many of you do know there are some people that are over-saved? You know, they're just... Yeah. And... So we don't, we don't have to do that, but to just say, well, I just believe it. And it's just in the Bible and it is just true. You know, that's like a spoiled kid who, who doesn't know the answer or something. So we want to learn the answers. We want to be able to have these things. And I get it as a believer. Sure. I'm, I can commit to that. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. But we're not talking about just you and me. We're talking about making a connection to other people. And, and, and we're here on earth. We're not home yet because we have, as we talked about Sunday, we have a huge purpose. And it's to help others to find their way home. And so it's not just to be us four no more and to judge the rest of the world. You know, God's the judge. Let him, let him do that. And, and he's holding off a whole lot of things. He's waiting. He's a patient farmer. He's waiting for the precious fruit of the earth. 
And we're co-laborers with God in God's garden. And, and we, need to, we need to make sure that we're prepared in some ways. Are you all with me on this? Um, apologetics often answers why. When we tend to, a lot of times as Christians, give the what. Now, we have a, a, a good tone in this church of apologetics. That we don't just give the what. We give the why. We give the how. So our messages are not just here it is, here it is, because then you end up dogmatic. We want to know how to apply it. We want to know what, what difference that makes. And so there is a good tone of that. But I, I want us to, to really purposely focus in on that. You know, sometimes we just give them what the gospel is. When a lot of times people want to know why. Why should I believe the gospel? What difference would this make in my life? Um, you know, if the doctor tells you, you need this, you need to take this. Well, be, be sharp enough to just say, why? Tell me Tell me what this is going to do. How would this help me? And, and, and so many things, we need to understand the why so that we can share the why with others. And I think we need to grow and improve in that. The first part of that verse 15 says, sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Everybody see in your hearts. This actually has to do with your soul because this has to do with intellect and will and emotions. So it's, it's rational. It's also emotional. It's heart. It's mind. It's, it's soulish. Well, you've got to get something settled in your whole, in, in your soul, because the, uh, Psalms tell us that the fool has said in his heart that there is no God. So this is kind of the, the battleground, if you will, this is the playing field, if you will, of settling things that it is not just rational. Okay. We need to know some rational things, some reasons. We need to be able to have some logical uh, discourse, but there's also an emotional part of it. There's others. There's some other things that we can't explain. Remember in John chapter nine, there was a, a young man. He was blind from birth and Jesus came along and long story short, he spit in the clay. He made mud. He put it on his eyes and he said, now go wash in the pool of Siloam. Siloam means scent. It's kind of a double meaning there because Jesus was sent to do this. And then he sent this, this young man to go get his sight. He felt his way around. He got help. He went to the pool of Siloam. He washed and he could see. Well, this fired up all the religious people. Well, y'all look at me. We don't want to be religious. Amen. And they just had a fit. They were just trying to find something wrong with it. You know why? Because they couldn't do it. And instead of rejoicing about it, they couldn't do it because they were so lost in all their laws and rules and, and knowledge and all that kind of stuff. And suddenly this guy is, is, he was blind and now he can see. I mean, that's a pretty awesome thing. And they said, well, it happened on the Sabbath. I don't care when it happened. I don't care when it happened. I'm, you know, awesome. So they start interrogating people. They, you know, uh, this, you weren't blind. Yes, I was been blind my whole life. They're asking people, is that really the guy that was blind? I mean, they've got committees going around investigating all this and went to his parents. This is not really your son. Yes, this is our son. He wasn't really blind. Yes, he was. And then they're pressuring them because they said, if anybody chimes in and says that Jesus actually did this, we're going to kick you out of the synagogue. So the parents, they came back to the parents again. And the parents pretty much just said, um, Hey, he's old enough to answer for himself. Go ask him. So they come back to him again. And he says this, he said, you guys didn't listen the first time I told you, I don't know anything about the guy. Really? He came up and well, do you think he was a prophet or a sinner? <laughs> well, my situation, I think he's a prophet. 
He's asking more and more stuff. And then finally he says, this, okay, guys, guys, guys. He goes, I can't answer all your questions. I don't know all those things. But this much I know. I was blind. And now I can see. And I'm going to tell you something. Listen, a person with an experience is never at the mercy of a person with an argument. And no, maybe you're not going to be able to dissect the Hebrew and the Greek and, and we're not going to be able to get, you know, all our systematic theology all correct. And oh, no, I'm, I'm missing this and I'm forgetting that. And I wish I could remember that. And I don't even remember the order of the books of the Bible and I can't name all the disciples. And, and you know, I don't know all those things, but you know what? I used to be a mess and I didn't have peace and I couldn't sleep. And I just know that he came into my life and he forgave me. And I've got, I got peace. I can sleep. He works things out for me. So you got, you have to have the rational, logical part of it as best you can. And we're going to add on to that. But you know what else you got to have? An experience with God. Pastor John and I have been praying, talking about this. We as a staff have been doing this. We want every time that you come here, we want you to experience God's word and God's presence. That beyond what we would, hey, that was a good song or wow, that really made that discourse on the word was really good. Well, yeah, it better be on both ends. But but we we miss the whole point if you don't come and experience God and his presence. So I don't want you, I want you to learn and I want you to, Enjoy. I want all those things, but I want you to leave here. The goal is that you would leave here. You know, when we say church days affect the rest of our days, that's not just because you got a really great cafe. (laughs) I got four good friends there. You know, good and good. But that something's happening. Something's happening. And I'm telling you, when you can look in the eyes of a person and say, you know what, I can't. I can't all answer all your questions, but I used to be a wreck. You know, I know people. I'm, I, there's some people here tonight that you were addicted and you're free. Depressed and you're happy. Broke and then you're blessed. Lonely and now you got too many friends. <laughs> Having to thin the, thin the herd. But are you hearing me? It has to be that part of it. And I want you to hear this. A man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. So we want to learn. We want to get some things in place. But most of all, it's what he did, what he brought, who he is in your life. Can I get a good amen on that tonight? All right. We're going to take just a few more moments here. Because there's some things you're not going to be able to explain. It all starts... If, if we're going to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts so that we're going to be ready. Everybody say ready. ready. Ready to give a reason, a defense, an answer for the hope that is within us. It starts with the foundation of our worldview. So I want to look just a little bit at the foundation of our, of our worldview. Before that, let me just go through a little brief, this doesn't even do it justice, run through of some history just real quick, just the last few decades, so we can see some things that have happened. In the 1950s, uh, Judeo-Christian worldview was prevalent by far. The end of World War II 
And then there was uh, baby boomers. Church attendance was at an all-time high. Prayer and Bible reading were a daily part of public schools and public events. It was just accepted that was part of it. And the the world was viewed through a modern, because it was post-war, through a modern lens, worldview, but also a moral. It was very moral. And not to say that there weren't teenagers sneaking around and, and corrupt officials and all kinds of things. Of course there were. As long as, as long as there's been people, there's been junk like that. But overall, most prevalent was a modern and moral uh, view of the world. Then the 60s came. And this wasn't like, you know, on New Year's suddenly changed, but you know how this goes. Assassinations. JFK, Martin Luther King, Bobby, Bobby Kennedy, um, some other world leaders. Assassinations. This is just new and unreal. Wars. Civil rights movement. Uh, a lot of injustice and violence. People became more introspective. Um, Peter, Paul, and Mary had a song. Listen to this. Listen how things are changing. The answer, my friend, is blowing in the wind. It became less centered. It's more just kind of scattered. Everything started to be questioned. Authority was questioned. People were tripping out. Then the 70s, Watergate, Roe v. Wade, Vietnam, on and on, marked by skepticism and real distrust of, of authority. The 80s and 90s, individualism, very narcissistic, very commercialized, postmodern. Anything prior to them was dumb and uncertain. Then we come on into 2000, September 11th, 2001, 9-11, our world changed big time. Um, war on terror, political correctness, um, the call it tolerance, but it's really not. It's very selective. A lot of that going on. Worldviews, wide changing varieties everywhere. And so now we come up to where we are and, and it's just all over the map. But you have to understand this. Listen to me. Everybody hungers. Everybody hungers for truth. Everybody hungers for some safety. There's a spiritual hunger in people. But because we've gone through decades of all kinds of stuff, and I'm going to tell you something and, and, and hear this. The church must be the church. We've got to take our place in declaring righteousness in the right way. We've got to be people who pray. We've got to be people who know our God. We've got to be people who know about vertical. That we know how to be connected to a holy, mighty God who can do anything. Because the more vertical that we're clear, the more impact that we're going to have horizontal. And the church has not been the church in a lot of ways. And I'm not saying a church, our church, what church as a whole. And just thought they could just cruise from the 50s. That we can just, you know, it's all good and everybody... Loves Jesus, and I just can't understand why they don't pray in school. And, you know, and all kinds of things have just come unglued. So we, we are where we are. So what we have to do, and how many of you know there's going, God's going to do a lot of great things in the end times? Yes, 
How many know God's still able to save? And let me tell you something. I heard this the other day and I just kind of cringed at it a little bit, but it's so true. And the minister that was teaching, he talked about the light of God and he talked about how it's kind of moved and, and how it was so centered here. And it's in Brazil and Argentina and parts of Europe. There's revival and churches growing like you would not believe. So we need to push ourselves out of our American Christian pride. We got some catching up to do, folks. And my prayer is, is God, if you're doing anything anywhere in the world, do it here. Do it here. Do it in our homes. Do it in our church. Do it in our lives. He's able and he wants to. And he's just, he's looking at the eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those who heart, whose hearts are loyal. The Hebrew word also means friendly toward God. It's inviting and we're inviting God. Do it here. Do it here. Everybody say, do it here. And that means not just here. It's in your life, in our, in our community, in our nation. Amen. Well, let me just introduce something here and we'll continue next week on this. The very foundation of our worldview. I, want, I, I don't want you to leave without this. First verse of the Bible. First chapter, first verse. And here we go. Genesis 1.1. It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Everybody read that with me. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Let's just take the first four words there. Read those with me. In the beginning, God. That is the foundation. That is the foundation of our worldview. Everything builds on that. I'm going to rush this just a little bit, but let me answer a couple of questions. When, when, it says in the beginning. You need to know that history did not begin in Genesis 1-1. That's not the beginning. That's the beginning of when all this started, this narrative started to be chronicled, where we kind of come into the scene. I want you to see a couple of things real quick. And this is, this just excites me here. In John 17, verse 24, Jesus is praying his high priestly prayer. And he says, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory, which you have given me. Watch this. For you, the Father, loved me, Jesus, before the foundation of the world. So get this. God and love preceded all of this. John seventeen five. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself and the glory, watch this, and the glory which I had with you before the world was. It's way before Genesis 1-1. Titus 1-2. In hope of eternal life. Everybody say eternal life. Eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised before time began. Notice just so far, love was way before this beginning. God was way before this beginning. Glory, his presence and power was before this beginning. Eternal life was already in play. Do you see this? Scripture tells us that Jesus, the lamb, was slain before the foundations of the world. This is an incredible God. So in the, 
what are we talking about? This is the foundation of our worldview. Yeah, that's the, the beginning. That's what we stand on. But the real beginning, history did not begin right there. Before all of that, how much before? Forever before. Well, we can't conceive of that because our brains are roughly this size. And we wear one of these. We're in a little time zone. Did you know soon time will be no more? I shared with you on Sunday in heaven, there is no pain, no tears, no time and no bills. Remember that one too? All right. Keep going here. And then in John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Jesus existed. So that's all eternal. Let me go to one other part and then I'm going to bring this down to a close tonight. When in the beginning, everybody say in the beginning, in the beginning. And then the second question, who in the beginning, God, God in that verse is the Hebrew word Elohim. And it's a plural form for God. And it's our first glimpse and clue of the Trinity. And so watch this Genesis one, one, then it goes on to say in the beginning, God created. Now the word created there, and I don't know this just by looking, but through reference and study created is in a singular form as if one created, but you've got Elohim plural for gods. Are you with me on that? So just go ahead and think Trinity, father, son, Holy spirit, all there created as one. Together as one, they created. Then we go to Genesis one twenty six. Then God said, Elohim, plural for God, said, Trinity said, let us, everybody say us, make man in our image according to our likeness. The next verse says this. So God created man in his own image. So we have this mystery of the Trinity. But it's important in your worldview That in the beginning, history, eternity, coming now and now we we join the, the story, the narrative. God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Three in one. We created singular as if one created. And how many of you know that creating is different than making? You've never created anything. And you're a master carpenter, a cabinet maker. You make, look what I created. You did not. Because you went and bought the wood. Well, I'm a baker. I'm a butcher. I'm a candlestick maker. Look, look at my creation. No, you did not. You know, you did not. Only God created. When we make things, we take things that already exist. Now, listen to me. I heard an old time Church of God preacher long, long, long ago say this. And he had this raspy voice because that's the way they preach. They just, I don't know how they live so long. Just the whole time. So he had this old raspy voice. And he said this, God, creator God, made everything, took nothing and made everything and hung it back on nothing. Isn't that awesome? He took nothing, he created everything, and he hung it back on nothing. That's our creator God. And you've got to understand, I don't understand the Trinity, neither do we. 
We, it's almost contradictory in the language. How can we singular create? But it's kind of like H2O. Two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen makes what? Water. But water can be liquid. Water can be solid, ice. Water can be vapor, steam. And this, this pales really to the reality of what the Trinity is. But it's an illustration that maybe just helps us just see a little bit. Now let me just wrap up with this thought and then we'll, we'll close tonight. You look at the, the stars, the constellations, the solar systems, planets. And there's clock-like precision. There's exact placements. And clock-like precision in movements. There's exact temperatures. That things, if they were any different, any closer, any further... Think about that just for a few moments. How could there not be, how could there not be some kind of creator, incredible God? How could that just be? And then you have billions of billions of people in the world. And every one of them have a unique DNA. There are no two fingerprints just alike. How could that just happen? Listen, where there's design, there's a designer. And in the beginning, God created. You just need to get this just settled in your heart. And this is not hard for you tonight because you kind of already know this, hopefully most of you. That in the beginning, God, get that central. Get that. If we get that in place, we're going to build upon that in, in, in the weeks to come. So that we're ever ready, always ready. To give a reason for the hope that is within us. Logically as best we can. And beyond that experientially. Because of what he has done in our lives. There's no denying the reality of an incredible God in our life. Amen. I'm going to stop right there. Did you get anything at all out of this tonight? All right. Good deal.